Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond. And this week, I have Ryan with me. Hello. No surprise, but a fun surprise is we have our buddy Ross. What's going Hello. on, Ross? Hey, not much. Uh, enjoying a nice evening and excited to talk with you guys. Yeah, you're in uh, kind of sunny California, although it hasn't been so sunny there much this uh, this winter. Yeah, there's been a distinct lack of sun and a distinct lack of fun driving experiences so far this entire year. <laughs> and it seems like yesterday even power with all some trees down and, and things like that. Yeah, it's just kind of becoming the way of the land here. It's melting away. It's washing. Yeah. As I see everybody back in New England lamenting uh, the fact that they haven't had much of a winter at all this year. <laughs> As you guys talk about this, I remember maybe four or five years ago, we all discussed how it would be great to live in California and Ross and I were really hot on it. This may have even been before you moved to California, Ross, or, or perhaps after you were there. And Stephen goes, I'd never move to California. <laughs> the climate's far too dramatic, or or it's, uh, it's fragile. It's too it's too fragile of an ecosystem. <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't say I'd never live in California. That would be a strong statement because I have considered move, you know living in LA. But California in general just makes no sense to me because it doesn't rain and it's dry, and then you're complaining about how there's no water and everything's in a drought. So then when it does rain. It's in catastrophe because everything is washing away and can't handle itself and just, yeah, it just, a, you know, happy middle. This is a particularly special year. Uh, I mean, I guess there was a time when there was a lot more rain on average, but we're just getting it all in such large, large bunches of rain. And of course, Ryan seems to be visiting me from time to time, uh, a couple times this year, and he keeps bringing this rain with him. Yeah, I went out and we were supposed to do some mountain biking the first trip. And there's a great policy in Santa Cruz, the town that never rains. You can't go mountain biking while it's raining out. And it's not even just like a it's not like there's a written law about this, but there's a cult like following around this concept. So much so that you can't even rent bicycles in the bike shops if it's raining outside. And and for me, as like an East Coast guy that spent my entire time mountain biking in the mud and in the rain, it was incomprehensible you know, uh, concept. Um, but, you know, on one of my more recent trips out there to visit Ross, we did have a little bit better weather, actually, and we had the opportunity to enjoy some fun drives. We even took out his Miata with the top down, and uh, I almost crashed it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. I, I think that was off, uh, off air that you told me that, I think, Ron. I did, yeah. You know, I uh, Ross was telling me that he was having some problems with sort of uh, driving a rear wheel drive car around the corners. He was a little scared about it. I was like, no, man, you know, Miatas, they're great. You just grab them by the scruff of the neck and toss them around. Nothing to worry about. And so I get into his NB Miata and I was, you know, instantly impressed. It's a really solid and fun car for the money and, and how old it is. It's really simple, but it. It delivers a lot and the similarities to the nd that we have at home are you know uh, they abound right but we turned on to i want to say bonnie dune yeah it was bonnie dune we turned on to bonnie dune what a lovely name by the way this yeah, makes me think of outlander <laughs> <laughs> and uh there's a range rover behind me so i figure i must not be going that fast i didn't really look at the speedometer but it it wasn't like I was accelerating in such a way to, to pull away from an SUV. And I dive into the first corner and instantly the back end just kicks 90 degrees <laughs> sideways on me. And, you know, it was a sphincter clenching moment where I had to give, you know, nearly full opposite lock to control the slide. And I turned to Ross and told him that he was entirely right to be scared about his meal. <laughs> uh, it was wet for what it's worth. Uh, but yeah, and you know, I've owned a Miata before and didn't have that problem. <laughs> but it does seem that uh, the tires at this one that I that are on the car I got from the previous owner might not be uh, so great in the wet. Tires make a difference. We've we've touted it on the podcast many times before. I don't know if you've had any experience with Cooper tires, Stephen. This was my first experience, but 
after um, that harrowing drive, I don't think I'd recommend Coopers to anyone. That's right. I, I when you told me that, I'm like, isn't that a Walmart tire? <laughs> I think at first I said Sears, but like, I think they're out of business. <laughs> yeah, because they sell Cooper tires. <laughs> You know, I've heard okay things in the past, but I think they get a uh, two thumbs down on the autoholic. You heard it. <laughs> not <heard>. approved. <laughs> Consumer <laughs> advice from the autoholic, do not buy Cooper tires. But we did have some fun in another car, which you happened to bring over. It looked quite nice parked in front of my house. It did. You know, every time I go to California, I love to take the opportunity to rent cars on Turo because the Turo scene in California is amazing. It's, you know, I think everybody knows by now Airbnb for cars. But for whatever reason, the difference of the availability of cars on Turo in California versus anywhere else in the country is dramatic. Can I I just say um, for how much we talk about Turo or like national and other car rental services? We should just get sponsored by them. So Turo, if you're listening, can sponsor the Autoholic. So that's our new goal, to get sponsored by Turo. If you look at mileage by user, I would guess that I have a very high mileage on Turo in comparison to other users. I've done, you know, in, in last year I did, I think, over 20,000 miles with rental cars, which is a lot. And More. much of that was on Turo. More than I drove last year, I think. Right. And that, in addition to that, I probably put another 40,000 miles on all of my cars. So I, I drove 60,000 60, miles last year, which explains why I drive so fast on the highway after you do all of those miles. You just start getting comfortable. But on this trip, um, I needed to rent a car that was a little more spacious because I had to use it for uh, the first day for, for business. And then I was going to be with Ross over the weekend. So I had the owner of the company with me. And I saw that there was an Integra available for rent, a new Integra 2023 with a manual. And I said, okay, that'll be kind of neat because I'm not sure if we talked about it earlier on the podcast, but I actually ordered an Integra right when they came out, right when the orders became available. And uh, I I was going to buy it. It was at the local dealer, but the deal didn't come together with the trade and price they were giving me on the Camaro. They didn't offer the same 45 grand or eight grand that I paid over sticker that the Jeep dealership did. Um, And so I hadn't really had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in one. So I was excited for this and I picked it up at San Francisco uh, airport and uh, drove it down, drove it up to San Francisco actually for the first night and then um, came down afterwards to meet up with Ross in, in Santa Cruz. And I was already having a blast in this little car 1.5 liter four-cylinder but with a lot of character a shifter that could you know put some bmws audis and porsches to shame and a chassis that was really dynamic and probably the first car that i've driven personally with an lsd front wheel drive car with an lsd i've driven rear wheel drive cars with lsd but the way that that changed your ability to add power during a corner in a front wheel drive car to me was incredible. So I had the chance to drive that Integra, woke up early one morning and before my meeting, I said, sitting in San Francisco, I said, well, I could go down for breakfast or I could drive out to Balinas and just do that blast on uh, on the road to Muir Beach. And heck, why not? You know, you only live once. So I did it and it was an unbelievable drive. And I've had the pleasure to do that drive in a few interesting cars, an M2, Miata, uh, two M2s actually, one M2, the original gen, another M2 competition. We probably talk about M2s a lot. <laughs> this yeah, an ND Miata. And this was up there. I, I, I probably thought that this was more fun than the M2s on that tight road. I mean, Ross can attest to the probably harrowing experience for him being a passenger with me driving the M2 in on both occasions. Well, more so the first time, the first gen. Really? Well, we didn't have uh, two ladies in the car with us the first oh, time. I, it was just you, my father, and I, so I was really misbehaving. And and I, I toot it down a little bit, more specifically for your fiance, because I didn't want her to hate me instantly after that drive. Um. But Karen, Karen had already been indoctrinated to my manner of dealing with corners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I, I mean, you know, it was so fun and, and that experience of being able to, to load up, you know, the engine, get the, the turbo on boost mid corner was really neat. And so I took it down and, and Ross and I took a little drive in it. And I think you were quite impressed as well with it, Ross. Right. So, you know, how's it, how did it compare to you to like your Jetta even? Yeah. Um, thought it felt like a great car it's definitely a little bit more uh modern in the way it feels in in some ways like what i like about the jet is it kind of feels a little bit more old school you kind of sit in it a bit even even with my extremely high seating position that i have in that car because uh for whatever reason with my my shoulder injury i need to crank the seat up high but still, the car feels a little low. You float in it. Uh, it's very airy. Uh, it's it's an easy driving car. You want to drive it relaxed. Uh, where the Integra definitely felt a lot more sporty. Um, like you want to grab it by the scruff of its neck a bit. That shifter, uh, obviously much better than the Jetta, but uh, more of a kind of classic Honda bolt action feel like a sporty honda would have kind of similar to like an s2000 if you've ever driven one of them very smooth um it was heavier than i expected it was heavy it was, yeah it was very hefty people say that bolt action feel but frankly this might be one of the heftiest shifters that i've shifted yeah um i will say like the interior felt very high quality uh the seats were some I thought the seats were comfortable, but uh, both of us, I remember, discussed that there was like an area around your tailbone that felt much firmer compared to the rest of the seats, and it was not pleasant. Uh, Ross and I are just so such old men with you know uh, back and, and, and tailbone problems, yeah. but I, I completely agree. It was bizarre. Like the seats were great, and then there's just this. It's as if they put a little sandbag right on your tailbone to sort of bunch you. And yeah. I don't know, do, 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 do the it guys at the Integra design team not have tailbones, or what's the story there? They're, well, they're old, Ross, you and I are Neanderthals. We're old men. I need like old man seats. I need like a Buick Roadmaster from the 90s. But, you know, I thought it was comfortable, very, very nice. The interior was a little busy and kind of that like, you know, modern Japanese style. There was a lot going on with the lights and such at night during the day. It wasn't so bad. Uh, but I, I think from a driving perspective, yeah, shifter was great. The steering felt great. The engine was phenomenal for a 1.5. It felt very, very smooth. It revved out a lot more than I thought it would. I uh, had a ton of power. I was driving like an asshole <laughs> uh, around Santa Cruz in this car. Um, I just, it kind of reminded me of the first time I ever drove like the EA888 from Volkswagen and was amazed at how smooth of a two liter four cylinder felt. Almost felt like a an inline six compared to how most two OTs felt. This honestly was the first time I've driven a four cylinder that size that kind of gave me the same same feeling if uh, not more so I, no. I i would say that it was the it gave me the same exact feeling as when the e triple ea triple eight came out but now this is sort of taking it to the next level yeah. the, the peakiness at redline and and sort of the level of enthusiasm that that engine provided for such a little thing was really cool mm -hmm. and i don't understand why People say it doesn't have enough power. It's enough power for, for my needs. Uh, I will say the, the number one complaint I always heard about that engine, and I can't disagree in any way, is the rev hang. Rev hang is obscene. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I'm sure you get used to it, but it was quite shocking uh, coming from, you know, when I get my, my desires for driving a sporty car, I hop into an MB Miata, which basically has... Uh, zero rev hang <laughs> i wish i had had some sometimes especially when it's cold it's hard to shift uh but overall very pleasant driving experience driving at night it felt great with those headlights you could see everything in the world with that thing uh you're right about the lsd it was really confidence inspiring uh now i guess the question is like is it worth buying over a civic si for five six grand less uh, it gets a hatchback. It's a little nicer. I think the Civic per looks better personally. Um, but one thing uh, which was really great about the Integra is those adjustable dampers. 
not something I normally care about that much, but uh, we played around quite a bit with it. And uh, people say the Civic SI is very stiff, and that implies to me that it's probably similar to the, the sport setting on that Integra. And honestly, I think I'd go a little crazy having that be 100% uh, of the time how that car rode. It was really stiff in sport, yeah. and I, I agree the Civic SI would piss me off a little bit because it's not such a high-performance car that it that it um, you feel that it's worth dealing with that level of discomfort, right? You're not driving yeah. a supercar. It's still just a little hot hatch at the end of the day, so it needs to balance it, you know, the, the sportiness with comfort, and I thought that the comfort mode of the Integra did a pretty good job of that. But even so, it was still pretty stiff. And it you could tell they took a really aggressive, you know, uh, posture in the way that they set up the suspension, even sort of how wide the front track felt versus like your Jetta, for example. The front track of the Jetta feels so narrow and you could sort of feel the car roll over on the suspension, whereas this Integra maintained a really flat composure during the during the cornering. And, and I think... You know, they decided to make that sacrifice, which if you have the pleasure of using some adaptive dampers, it, it offsets it. Totally. It kind of feels like, uh, you know, a slightly softer, almost like a WRX. Like, obviously, the MVH is not in any way, shape or form similar to a Subaru, but it does kind of have that uh, road clawing feel. Uh, I'd say a WRX does. It almost felt all-wheel drive, if you know what yeah. I mean. I totally agree, except, you know, I just would highlight the level of quality in NVH was much more to the European car um, perspective than, you know, uh, the typical Subaru sort of clattery type type feel. We did notice, though, at highway speeds or higher speeds, you did get just a level of road noise that you don't get in the German cars. But overall, it was very, very close in, in overall quality, solidity, and so forth. In fact, uh, that also really impressed me. And, and I, would, I would see why people would go that direction or spend a few extra dollars for this Integra to get something that feels more upmarket like that. What do you think, Stephen? Are you a fan of the uh, Integra or the Civic SI? I think in principle, I, I understand um, what purpose they serve and why they're so popular. Or, I mean, why even you were so excited when these were being announced, why you put a deposit down on an Integra. And and I think, did you even do one for a Civic as well with the Type R when it was coming out or no? I didn't, but I've been trying to procure a Type R. Right. So, I mean... I remember all your hype around it, and I know it's a big deal when these things come out because there is such a, a cult following around, especially the you know the original Integra, but you know all the series of the Type Rs and things like that. And for me, I guess you know maybe because I haven't driven one, um, that I don't have the same sort of excitement. And for you, those were coming at a time when you were really looking to get into the sports car market kind of thing. So those served as very desirable platforms um, in a obtainable, reasonable price range for you to have something kind of fun, a little peppy to add to your collection. Um, you know, maybe I'm a bit spoiled, but I just went straight from an old Mercedes that was slow to owning a Porsche 911, <laughs> which granted it is old and, and much slower probably than the Integra and the, the Type R. Um, Not slower than the Integra. I'd say it's faster okay. than the Integra. Okay. Does have 300 horsepower, your, yeah. uh, your 911. Yeah. <laughs> but the Type R isn't another, another price point. I mean, it starts at 44 and probably pays 64 for the thing after dealer markups. Uh, but you can't but even take dealer markups into consideration at, at this moment. I feel like yeah. if you want to buy one of these cars, you have to buy them for sticker. Otherwise, you should just forget about it. And yeah. it, it, it stops being an option when you start looking at these crazy markups. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, for example, I called, I don't know, 20 dealers looking for a Type R. But I couldn't I couldn't get anyone who wanted to sell it at MSRP. But I think this begs the question because, like, People aren't, 
I think if people get behind the wheel of an Integra, they'll really grow to like the car. Um, but people are often ragging on it. I mean, you see it online, like it's mostly negative feedback. But now that the Integra Type S has been announced, I think you're getting some excitement because uh, rightfully so, people are getting excited in the same way they are about the Civic Type R because you know that that engine is is special, right? Like that's one of those. It's not just you know a pepped up Civic. Like that's a that's a real uh, experience of an engine. I don't know how many videos you guys have watched about that, but it's incredible. But to me, the thing is, I'm an old man who apparently complains about uh, a you know one degree. 1% harder material in the tailbone section of the seat. Uh, and that car looks like, you know, uh, more painful than my slammed 91 GTI was when I was 19 driving it around. It's so stiff, so aggressive. You throw that engine in a softer, more luxurious Integra Type S. Oh my God. For, you know, mid to high 40s, it seems like a pretty sweet car. Even if it's not as like traditionally luxurious as say the the equivalent from Audi or BMW. I'm I curious what you guys think about that. I'm really excited about the Integra Type S. I'm a little worried about what price point it'll come in at. You know, if it's in the fifties, I think it's getting a little bit iffy. And I think that it might be in the fifties just based on the Civic SI price differential to the Integra um, with the manual. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's another five or six grand. But we talked about markups. I bet the Integras will be less marked up just, you know, as it's going already with the Integra versus the SI. Even now that the SI has been out a, a while longer, the Integras are easier to get. The SIs are selling just immediately um, a bit more of a got maybe more of a cult following than the Integras. And, and it's true, you know, Ross said in his opinion, but I think it's almost a fact that the Integras are a little bit uglier than the Civics. Uh, I will say though, spending some time with one in person, it was a sharper looking car than I imagined. Mm-hmm. And actually I found that the looks of it resemble higher end vehicles. So I confused one for a Mercedes uh, GT, actually. Mm. I I was coming up behind an AMG GT, the four-door, and I was like, oh, look, it's another Integra. And then I said, oh, my gosh, it's an AMG GT. So, you know, uh, shame on Mercedes and and good on Acura for making their car, you know, at a way different price point look, you know, essentially as, as interesting as something like that. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys. I see them at least one a day where I am. So they are, you know, they're showing up and I find them attractive every time I see them. Could be the I same car for all I know. That's <laughs> much. Yeah, nor do I see the Civic Si, honestly. I don't see either. But people don't seem to buy interesting cars where I live. <laughs> I mean, good on Acura for making an interesting car. And it's not the only one. I mean, you can get a TLX Type S, like... I haven't been this excited about Acura since I probably couldn't drive. <laughs> Me too. And and I'm really happy that they're having that brand resurgence. But I, th- you know, I'd like to make an interesting point here. You and I are very excited about this Type S and the Civic Type R. And we think this engine and the experience is going to be such a big thing. And, you know, I'm sure you've watched videos from Tedward or the Topher talking about how they believe this is similar to a gt3 type driving experience you know at a way different price point obviously not real drive and so on and so forth but that level of engagement and and sort of interest from the driver's perspective i think though that our buddy steven over here isn't seeing it with the same rose colored glasses that we are yeah i don't think i'm uh as personally connected with it or as excited about it and maybe that's due to lack of knowledge but you know uh, one thing maybe it's a fault of mine is i just kind of consider any of these cars in this kind of price range model range uh, idea type of of kind of lower end or entry level sports car i just bucket them all with like a subaru sti um and i know that's kind of the most popular and 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 just has a, a following to it so 
it's almost like why not just get an STI? They're all the same, more or less, to me. <laughs> well, you can't buy an STI. That's that's your first problem. <laughs> it's gone. But I mean, I know what you I know what you mean because you can buy but, that car, but you can buy a you can buy a Corolla GR for a lot cheaper. And I know there's markups, but there are more Toyota dealers that are famously, if you wait, at least around here, you can get your hands on one for MSRP. Sure, you have a laughable interior. That's I, would say, I would say the Corolla GR is is more interesting, or I get more excited about that than the rest wow. of them. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of, you know, the hot hatch. And, and while these are technically hatches in a way, you know, um, I don't know. There's something about the good old wagon kind of hatch yeah. look to it that 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 does appeal to me. I, I'm just so shocked to see your overall level of disinterest in these. You, <laughs> just totally not excited about these cars. And Ross and I are beaming. Well, and, I'll, you know, when you get your Porsche, maybe you'll feel the same. As me. <laughs> it's a great point, but I sort of I could envision a, a driveway where I had that 718, and that a Civic Type R would be a great, you know, accompaniment to that in the driveway. Something that gives me some of those thrills, but I don't mind sort of banging around on an everyday basis. You know, as we talk about hot hatches, that that's sort of the concept of them historically, right? I saw an article the other day, Drive put out on, you know, what happened to the GTI? Why isn't it cool anymore? And one of the lines in the article that I thought was really interesting was they said, you know, what made the GTI so great was that everyone wanted to drive it. You could be a kid coming out of college with no money and you wanted one, but you could also own a Lamborghini or a Ferrari and have one as your daily driver and love it and think that it was cool. And so that sort of ability to transcend class, structure, price ranges mm -hmm. and so forth was kind of unique. And I can see here that you don't feel that these, you know, Hondas and, and Acuras are are doing that right you you have them bucketed in in this sort of class or segment that doesn't fit with someone who might also own a porsche <laughs> yeah i mean i guess also maybe part of it is a little bit of the, the the heritage to it i mean the gti is classically known as the hot hatch mm -hmm. it's been around significantly longer than you know the type r's and the integra and things like that and there's certainly a cult following along with the Type R and, and the Integra, and that's just not the cult I subscribe to, I guess, you know? <laughs> so, I, go ahead, Ross. I was going to say, I did see that article the other day, and uh, there was a thread on Reddit where I was talking with, uh, or responded to somebody, and I said how I think the GTI, especially, you know, before the current generation, which seems to have just fallen off a cliff, and I'm sure part of that is I know people complain about the infotainment, et cetera, et cetera. I think the biggest thing is they just don't make them. You can't buy one. Like, so no one's going to get excited about a car you can't even buy. Um, it's true. I went to the Volkswagen dealer and asked about a GLI or a GTI with a yeah. stick. And they said, good luck, buddy. Yeah, they just don't oh, yeah. exist. Yeah. But the I Mark 5, 6. Oh, sorry, Stephen. Yeah, I was just going to say I did see a GTI, a newer GTI with a stick. On the side of the road i was walking down the sidewalk and the guy was with his car and i saw the door was open i'm like oh cool a gti then it looks really sharp that looks really sporty and nice i walk by i see in the door i see it has a manual and i'm like nice this guy is really you know, like right. you just don't feel that way at all about these civics <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah even the mark 8 which i will say it's not the prettiest gti ever but in person looks a hundred times better than photos uh yeah, it's a cool car, but I think that what I was saying was that the GTI is like has held a place in uh, the market where uh, it wasn't just for like serious car enthusiasts. It was such a car for those borderline people that like kind of liked cars, uh, but you know weren't massively enthusiasts, but got it because you know maybe they were coaxed into it and totally opened up that world for them. Uh, which is why I think Harry. Yeah, Harry. Perfect example. But that was it was just it was something a little more interesting for him than any other car. And it, it totally, you know, kind of opened his mind to the concept of driving a cool car. You're right about that. 
But it, and I it, think Stephen's right. It doesn't really. Uh, some of the other options don't necessarily don't necessarily like hit that mark in the same way. Like people who buy Civic Type R's are like really hardcore about Civic Type R's, right? <laughs> it's more extreme. I think maybe just less people know, or I think the thing about the GTI is that it masks the enthusiasm and the enthusiasm a little bit better than say like the type r does especially historically the type r had always been a bit louder of a car than the standard civics so you know a standard driver of a civic would never really consider upping or paying more for something because it just seems like a, a totally different car whereas the gti doesn't seem far off from a standard golf um but you want you know once you sit down and you get behind the wheel of it and you drive it then you start to notice it and it becomes a little bit more interesting or pleasurable uh, for them without making so much of a statement about it. So that's a great point. And I think that's actually what made the current generation Civic Type R, Integra, and so forth interesting to me again. Right. Because they're they're more in line with that formula where it's it's less of an extreme car. It doesn't look like an anime character. It's lines <laughs> that I think most people could appreciate. Um, and so you're not screaming for attention with them in the way that you were with specifically the last gen Civic Type R. As cool as it was, I, I could have never really got behind owning one just due to how loud and flashy it was as a vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for me, um, yeah, I liked your point about how you mistaken uh, uh, an AMG GT for an Integra. I would not blame Mercedes since they came out with that design before. Accurate is. If anything, you know, on Acura for stealing some of that design. And I, I do think it's a good point. And I do find the Acura and the Integra, um, the design of that to look higher end. I mean, it is an Acura. It should be the higher end Honda. So... I think they've achieved that, um, you know, for better or worse of stealing other people's designs. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's following suit. But um, I would maybe much rather take my 45 grand or, or whatever and, and buy a slightly used German or other interesting kind of sports car. Which I think you can do now. I mean, uh, I mentioned earlier off off the call that, you know, if you start watching cars and bids, cars, interesting cars seem to be actually starting to close at prices that are a little bit more reasonable. Uh, I think we started the conversation talking about how you can buy 996s for under 20 grand now, or Cayman's for low 20s. But in the 30 to 45 thousand dollar range, I mean, you get some serious iron. <laughs> you brought up a couple. <laughs> the market is definitely softening, and. Uh, I think that Stephen and Ross make a good point here that, hey, if you're looking at, you know, spending all this money on a hot hatch, it's bound to depreciate pretty substantially in, in the short run, right? What has already depreciated a bit that maybe even is coming out of a class above? So I'll start off with my favorite example that I can't seem to stop talking about, which is the BMW M2. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, as I've said before, I've thought long and hard about owning one of these because they're just becoming really, really interesting for the price. So I think for me, the M2 to own would be the competition, but maybe not for the reasons that you'd think. I, I just love sunroofs. So if I know there's a car that's available with a sunroof, I'd have to go for that one because it makes a big difference. And so the original M2 pre-facelift didn't come with a sunroof, the competition did. But if you don't mind a sunroof, the pre-competition facelift M2s are now going for really low prices. In fact, we pulled one up here, 30 grand for a 2017 uh, car. Now this one, albeit has, you know, quite a few miles, 85,000 miles on it, but it's still a 2017 BMW CarPlay, feels really modern. I bet it's still pretty reliable. And it's going to give you, you know, a driving experience that is more... It's a lot closer maybe to Stephen's Porsche vibe than than to the Civic vibe. And I, there's a lot to be said for that, you know. But to the same token, there's a lot to be said for owning a new car. So 
you know, I considered all this in my search. You said I was looking for my first sporty car. I, I think I sort of lean to the side of if it's going to be something I drive every day, it's nicer to be in a new car just to not have BS, to not be worried about the reliability, to have good modern tech that helps me in traffic or so on and so forth. But I think that maybe both of you guys are less on that program. Steven, to an extreme sense, you know, Mr. Defunct over here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe you'd be willing to make some more compromise there. No, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a good point. I do think it's a lot of car for the money. Uh, 80,000 miles is... You know, on the higher end for uh, especially a you know a 2017 um, in general, um, and that on top of that being a sports performance car. But I do agree that I think BMWs of the recent you know five years plus or so probably are pretty reliable. And had they been well serviced and everything, I think don't have a lot to be concerned about. Ross, you brought up like the 996s and how they're dropping back below $20,000. And you see a couple of examples on, on cars and bids mm-hmm. around that. And all the ones that are under $20,000 are around the mileage of my car, which is 120,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And being on the other side of that, granted, I know where all 100,000 miles of my car have been, um, which adds a nice bit of comfort and luxury you know, I see that and I go, oh, there's still a lot of life left in that car, even at 120,000 miles. But I understand the concern from the outside of not knowing what could happen at any moment um, of time. But you look at, uh, I think there was another 996 that had 80,000 miles and that was, you know, 10 grand more and and closer to the $30,000 range. And I ask myself for, 40,000 more miles, is it really $10,000 more car? Is it really that much more reliable? And I'm thinking it's not because it's just a crapshoot. You know, you just have to shoot your shot and then maybe you're lucky and maybe you're not. Maybe the owner did a good job maintaining it or or, or this and that. So well, at this point with the age, you're just going to have to replace so many rubber parts, bushing, suspension components. You know, I went out and drove a few 996s after I had such a good time in yours and I was utterly and unequivocally disappointed in the experience. And it showed me that the time, effort, and investment that you've put into making yours the way it is goes a long way. And and with that in mind, I don't think that a 996, unless it's really incredible, is a $30,000 car. Mm-hmm. I, I would much rather spend a little bit more up front and get the 2015 Cayman that I had pulled up here for 42 grand with 36,000 miles. I mean... Which- is in, in line with the price of those like the higher and hot hatches and right the one you brought up is like maybe the basest cayman that was ever produced <laughs> uh there are virtually no buttons that have uh actual buttons <laughs> they're all dummies in the interior but it's beautiful i mean it's a thirty-six thousand miles six speed six cylinder cayman for 42 grand it's probably going to be reliable yeah it's simple it looks good i think that would be my choice between that and an M- m2 even though you know 12 grand difference you can uh do a lot of maintenance with that and take a vacation <laughs> well figure figure that you could probably get a similar mileage m2 for about the same money so that and i think i think that's about right so compare the 981 to the first gen m2 uh, what what are you getting with an M2 versus a 981? Well, you're getting a more modern experience, right? It's got CarPlay. I, you know, I'm just a big devotee to CarPlay. But uh, I, I will say that you get behind that 981 gen of, of Porsche. I had the chance to drive one. Here's another, um, you know, pitch for Turo. I had the chance to drive one from L.A. all the way up to um, Carmel. And, uh, you know, drove it through Ojai on Route 33, one of the best roads I've ever driven. And that engine just absolutely screamed. And I actually, just even thinking about this right now, I cannot imagine that that fucking Honda has anything on the feel of that Porsche. It's so, it was just such a dramatic and, and fulfilling experience as a car lover that it's really difficult to touch. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, it's tough to put a finger on a on a Porsche and the experience of that. So maybe you could understand my uh, lack of enthusiasm for anything that is trying to uh, provide that experience, but you know is is not Porsche at all. You know, there's a reason there's a a bit of a premium for the brand. Mm-hmm. So certainly, you know, a slightly used uh, Cayman with you know. 30,000 miles is like nothing for that thing. And and yeah, you, Ross, you mentioned it is very basic on the inside, but you have the chassis, you have the engine. It's like, what else could you want or need? My 996 is very, very basic. C2 yeah. has no features whatsoever, but I get in and drive it and it's a Porsche still. So uh, I, think the, I think a lot is lost these days in the whole wrap up of the different lines of, of Porsche and different editions and all the features and options and that's where they get you. Um, and I, I, a lot of them I don't think are necessary. The only thing I would say is if you're going to get a base, get a sport chrono because I do think that makes a big difference <laughs> in terms of the, uh, the throttle mapping and the, the experience of the car. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean that that's that's a great option for the Forty-five thousand dollars, and I'd much rather have one of those than a, a Type R or a uh, Integra. Um, I would even throw in the in the ring if you still want the manual experience. Um, you know, there's another option that I think is way overlooked, and that's like uh, a Cadillac ATS-V. And we see that there's one on cars and bids that sold uh, recently. Uh, it's a 2018. And it's even the championship edition, um, and that's sold for $40,000. So you get, I mean, this is talk about being loud. This championship yeah. version is, is a bit, look at me. Um, but it's a hot look. Civic Type R-esque, actually. Yeah. yeah. Especially this one's white, and it has, like, red uh, side mirrors and everything. It does, uh, it is very reminiscent of, uh, you know, a Type R kind of look at me but uh i'm sure it sounds a hell of a lot better than than a a, a type bar um and I, i'm you know it just seems like a very uh, theatrical car and it only has thirty thousand miles on it and it's going to have similar uh or basically the same platform as your old camaro right ryan so you know it's going to drive well it is it's on the album yeah they do drive great i bet that 3.6 V6 with a turbo on it is kind of rough feeling versus any of the other engines that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you can see the quality difference between no. Cadillac and the other stuff. You know, it looks a little more worn for the age and mileage than the 2015 Porsche does, right? And so... I mean, it's all Alcantara in here and suede, and, and that just does not age as well as other. Uh, <laughs> and oh my God, the piano black yeah so much of it piano blacks a real issue and and the, the challenge is it's just becoming more and more prevalent i uh, think if you want a cadillac with a twin turbo v6 and a manual i think you sit there with your thumb up your bum for two years and you pick up a cts 4v blackwing for the same price in two years when they're used <laughs> i just watched the savage geese video on the ct4 blackwing and uh, I wasn't a big fan of Savage Geese in the beginning, by the way, and I'm now really coming to appreciate this. They're, they're the best. Yeah, they're they're great, and uh, I was wasn't expecting to think that. I know that Jerry's Jerry Seinfeld's a big fan of them, so you know that does say something. Seinfeld <laughs> seal of approval. Yeah, it has the Seinfeld seal of approval. But <laughs> they were raving about the CT4 Blackwing, and when. Um, the gentleman who, from the channel was driving it. He was sliding it all over the place. It looked like so much fun. And uh, it, it looked like a really interesting option to the M3, you know, something a, a little different. But I mean, now we're talking about cars in a whole nother price bracket. So we may as well leave those to the side. But I would say I'd, I'd actually for that car in particular, I don't know if it will depreciate as much as this ATSV. I feel like it's a little bit more special than than the ATS and, and yeah, I think it might maintain its value depending on, I mean, obviously if it's super high mileage, I think yeah. it's appreciate because it's a, an American 
performance car, but uh, I think a relatively low mileage one, I think, will probably hold up pretty nicely. I would agree. I think people are just in general more excited about it. I feel like the ATSB wasn't exactly, you know, getting people riled up. But at the same time, don't underestimate how much a Cadillac can depreciate. No, that's absolutely true. My uh, my cousin is actually driving around in my grandmother's North Star uh, oh. X uh, Cadillac sedan. Um, and which you know, one is it? Uh, it was like whatever the DTS, I think, was it? Oh, that's a great car. You know, mid sedan, <laughs> it's like candy apple red, such a grandmother car, a hip grandmother car. Um, and it's a great platform and everything, such a solid car, very comfortable too. But like it goes for like seven or eight grand now. I, I, I don't recall how many miles are on it. I'm imagining not uh, so much since it was only owned by my grandmother and she didn't go on long, you know, uh, long drives or road trips. But take uh, it to on Sundays, take it to Foxwoods, do some <laughs> gambling, take it to the shops, the outlets. TJ Maxx and back, you know, the grocery store and whatnot. <laughs> that was about it. That was about it. But yeah, it's a, like it's a seven grand car now, and that's a lot of car for a seven grand. A lot of car. But the engine will explode. No, those North Stars are pretty reliable, right? No, no. Uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> about the opposite. Reliable. The North Stars are well renowned for a wide variety of problems. Speaking of V8s, though, uh, you did mention, Stephen, another car which actually really uh, got me a little bit excited um, that I didn't expect you could buy in this price range. But, you know, for the same price as a new Civic Type R, what about a lightly used 2016-2017 Mercedes C63 AMG? I think that is a very modern car with a really kick-ass powertrain and luxury experience for that price point. And I think that that makes a really good argument against something like, especially the Integra buyer, right? Mm -hmm. Looking for a bit more luxury and class. This is an interesting car. And, uh, you know, the the 63 powertrain, I I don't know if you guys have spent a lot of time in the – Oh, well, Stephen, obviously you have. It's the same powertrain as the E63, excuse me. But, you know, having driven it a few times, I'm just really thrilled by that powertrain. It's it's so emotional, so fast. It's really exciting. So I would imagine that car is a total hoot to slide around and encourages you to behave in your most childish self. Yeah, I mean, if I had the pocket and change uh, for a, a serious sports car in this kind of price range. This, the C63 has always been my ideal kind of daily sports car. I think it's the best do-it-all platform for fun, hooning around, but also you know going to the shops or doing whatever long, a long uh, drive and, and and being comfortable. And it's amazing that you know just 2016. Uh, I think this is a good-looking model year for the car um, before it became too much looking like an E-Class and, and things like that um, and became all digital screens and everything. So it still has an analog sense to it without feeling super outdated. Um, so this is a nice generation to have in this price range. Um, it had this example that we found it had 40,000 miles on it. Um, which is not terrible. It even says it's the S C63 AMG S. Um, uh, so a little bit more power there too. That's a lot of car for the money for $45,000. The one thing I think that's the biggest fear about these cars is the servicing um, because you need your brakes done. That is like eight to $10,000 oh. out of pocket right there um if it's you know rotors pads yeah, everything uh, no 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 hang on you're talking about carbon ceramics that's not a that's not a price point for non carbon carbon ceramics that, it's not, it's just throw it's like five or six grand it is no no i don't like, know you not have carbon ceramics on the e. <laughs> ross the diamonds pay a special price for car service i'm telling you yeah you need to find a new shop to go to 
Well, we go to a, a, a Mercedes-Benz dealership. Well, there's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, I need to find the shop with like 12 old W124s parked out front. <laughs> no, I mean, there was even stories I know, like Dax Shepard, uh, his E63 wagon or C63 wagon, which does have carbon ceramics. He refused to pay like the, the eight to 10 grand or whatever to have them redone. And he did them himself in his driveway. Um, but you know, that's just one example of the servicing things that could happen or go wrong with the car. My dad, uh, last year started having a bit of a, a radiator issue where the fan was running at weird times or always running super fast. And it just turned out to be a fuse thing, but you just never know when, you know, two, three grand can just poof out of your pocket like that. And I think you have to be prepared for that. And that's certainly something you're not going to get if you're hopping into the Integra or the Type R. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's worth it, I think. Yes, but you have to be in the right, you know, mindset and financial position for it. Gentlemen, for your forty-five grand, what are you taking? A new Civic Type R, an Integra Type S, assuming that it's not in the fifties, an ATS-V, an a, a C63 AMG a BMW M2, or a 981 Cayman. Cast your votes. I've got it. Ross, what do you say? A Golf R. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, honestly, depends. That actually might be where my head leans, because throw a quick tune on that, and you have, like, you know, performance that's in line with some of those other cars, but you know, I don't know. It's not special enough. I think the the clear one to me there, um, for for me, uh, it's got to be that Cayman, the 981. That's got to be the one. It's a Porsche. I don't need 500 horsepower. I'm an old man. I drive like a child, like a child or a grandma. I'm not sure which one. Uh, I just think I would prefer the crisp uh you know inputs and you know engine of that came in and uh you know i see c63s on the road for example and i think oh that's cool but every time i see a cayman or like even a cayman yeah any borgia i just kind of gush a little bit so i think i think that's where my i'd put my money steven the short answer is I would agree with Ross, and I would choose the 981. Uh, I think obviously it depends on what else is in your your garage and, and what you're going to use it for. If it's going to be like a daily driver and that's your go-to get-in car and, and, and that's it, and that's your choice, would I choose that? Maybe not. Um, just from a practicality, I know, it, you know you do have a the front and a little bit of the, the rear hatch kind of space i think it just feels maybe a bit claustrophobic or a little bit tight in there for, on a day-to-day -day basis which would make me lean towards the c63 i really like the c63 as well and i think it's a very attractive car but the more i'm learning after changing cars a lot over the last few years is that i just love driving manual and I'd like to do whatever I can to ensure that my cars are manual. And so I think I'd instantly dis discard the C63. Um, if I had another car that was a bit more practical from any sense, I would definitely go for the Cayman as well. I, it's just, you can't match the Porsche experience. Um, but if it was my only car and, and really honest to goodness only car, it would be a very tough call for me between the Civic Type R or, you know, in, in Integra and the M2. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I would think long and hard about that because, you know, I think that M2 is is maybe a bit more luxurious than these cars and gives you, um, you know, maybe even close to some of the feel that you would get with the C63 while also bringing in some of the excitement, manual transmission fun of something like a Porsche and still being pretty new. Um, but at the same time, a brand new, sparkling fresh, championship white uh, <laughs> uh, Civic Type R. 
I don't know. I I think that would be the one for me if it were if it were my only car. Well, it's probably the one that's going to depreciate the least. <laughs> so that's a plus two. Although to that point, I don't think that Cayman's going anywhere no. fast. That's yeah, true. The M2 is probably likely to depreciate more. Uh, there is one car that we forgot to talk about, which we we're going to bring up, which I think you know is in line with somebody that you know very well. Uh, where they're actually wanting to put their $45,000 down. And that is uh, based on what we're seeing on cars and bid for a recent sale for 45K, a 2013 Audi RS5. Uh, I think if that's going to compare to anything, we'd have to discuss it in relation to the C63. Uh, I think the RS5, you know, coming from a background of being a Volkswagen Audi guy. I mean, that's like the grail. It feels like a more special, unique car than the C63. Uh, but knowing that you can get both of these things for the same price, it would be hard for me to pony up for that Audi. Like, it just feels like so much older. And like that, that C63, I mean, I remember that. That car came out when we were in college. I remember it. Oh, I forget who had it, but somebody got a C300 that lived right next to us. JP Rota got JP. a white one. It was a great it car. Was, it was like mind blowing <laughs> to me. That car looked incredible <laughs> and it still looks fresh. Yeah, I agree. The, the C63 seems so much newer than that Audi. And after spending a lot of time with the B8 right now, I have the S4, a 2014. I feel like that car is really starting to, to get faded and just... I couldn't imagine putting forty thousand dollars into that chassis. I, I don't I don't see it as worth it. But I've never driven an RS5 and I know that Audi's 4.2 V8 really is one for the ages. It's an it's a wonderful engine and I'm sure it's more characterful than the turbocharged V8 in that C63. But I don't know. I I'd I'd go back for the C63. How about you, Steven? Yeah, I mean, over over those two, I think if you're talking about cars that are probably going to depreciate even more, yeah, you get the the RS5 maybe. Despite the engine, I mean, I guess you're you're paying strictly for that. At some point, I think maybe the chassis craps out and you throw that into something else. <laughs> yourself a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, I think the tech really does come down to it, and then you know the the engine and the whole platform has to be that much more interesting where you can ignore the tech and the inconveniences of it um and for that price range seeing what else you can get that feels a lot but a lot more modern and a little bit more livable on a day-to-day basis in Mm -hmm. a sense it's tough to park i think 45 grand into something like that i think you have to have a real deep passion or heart like you said um and be a nerd for you know, Volkswagen Group and Audis um, to want to have that as an option in your fleet. But you most yeah. likely have something else that's interesting. Um, maybe you already have a Porsche, and that's like another thing that you uh, can choose from. You know, I look at this car, though, and I look at these photos in the interior. It's still a dang nice car. It's it definitely... looks it in pictures, but I got to tell you, touching it in person, it's a little disappointing. Huh. It, it, it like the plastics are, are really cheap and it's just starting to kind of feel old. You know, and Ross and I are, are both true Volkswagen geeks. Yep. We were on VW Vortex back in the day. And so for me to sort of go against it, I, I think says a lot. Well, you know, to wrap us up, Ross, I'm curious about one thing we talked about when I rented that Integra. You said you were interested in looking at one to replace your Jetta. And I asked you in the beginning how you compared it. After driving it, are you still thinking about that to replace your Jetta? Uh, maybe in a, in a vacuum, I would. But I just don't think it makes sense. Uh, you know why? Because like right now I have other things I want to save my money for. The Jetta is a great daily. Uh, and when it push came to shove and I had to spend the money, I would go out there and buy a Cayman. <laughs> you buy that Cayman, right? I don't know if I'd buy that that Cayman, but you could get a. We were finding Caymans all the way, all the way down to twenty. So you spend thirty grand, you get a slightly less nice nine eight nine eight one, or uh, you know, a nicer nine eight seven, and it's just 
that's where it's at. <laughs> well, Stephen, if you didn't rent a car yet for Ross's wedding, I, I think you'd better try and rent this Integra so we can see if we change your mind about Japanese cars and Japanese hot hatchbacks in general. I'd be really interested as to your take on it and if you were as enthused about the performance, the engine, and the LSD as we were. Um, so I think that'd be a cool little experiment. And actually, it was a real bargain in comparison to a lot of other cars. Uh, that's a, yeah, no, it's an option I would consider, much over the uh, V8 Vantage. Yeah, Stephen won't pony up for a stick shift V8 Vantage that's, that's available on Turo that I think is really the car to rent. But anyhow, that's a story for another day. Well, I think in conclusion, we'd all ideally be Porsche owners. And I think that's that's the best way to drop the mic and end this. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure to catch up and I uh, hope we could get to do another one of these soon with the three of us. Yeah, thanks for joining, Ross. Wow. Of course. Hope to be on soon. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Have a good night.